Join Anthony Esselin, John Warwick Montgomery, Beverly Yonke, Mark Haltoff, Ryan Anderson, Todd Wilkin, and yours truly for the Fall 2018 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, November 9th and Saturday, November 10th in Dallas, Texas. To learn more, register at issuesetc.org. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, July 31st, 2018. Uh, Yeah, another installment of the Heresy Parade. The parade that just never seems to end. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down. That's right. Stop. Open up your Bible and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God No shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching that's put forward for consumption by the average evangelical, is far from biblical, far from what God's Word says. There's a lot of people that are just making stuff up. They have no clue how to rightly handle God's Word, and they think they can that they pretty much understand it, but they've not done what's necessary to be qualified to teach in Christ's church. The pastoral epistles are very clear that the qualifications of a pastor is that he must be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, in the word as taught by the apostles, and uh, and to rebuke those who contradicted. And instead, we are living in a day when people are literally scratching, itching ears, telling people what they want to hear rather than telling them what they need to hear. And the result is catastrophic, eternally catastrophic. And the sad part is, is that it's hit a level of buffoonery that you would think just wouldn't be possible in a society or in societies where people are required to actually have educations. It's just so crazy what's going on here. Now, case in point. Now, we're going to be spending some time today looking at, and I normally don't uh, talk about the theme so much, uh, when we uh, theme an episode of Fighting for the Faith. Yesterday's episode, no theme. Today, we'll be working from a theme. And, and the idea is this, is that the scriptures are about Jesus. They are not about 
you. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, he says to the Jews, you diligently search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life, yet they are the very scriptures that testify about me, and you refuse to come to me that you might have life. And so the scriptures actually are pointing to Jesus. And uh, what we're going to be doing today is looking at different examples of people who are taking Old Testament texts and just butchering them horribly. Uh, in the first example, uh, Real Talk Kim. Yeah, that's right. We're going to be doing a Real Talk Kim update. Yay! Some of you are saying, yeah, I could hardly wait to hear that. Um, <laughs> Real Talk Kim is going to be engaging in a classic twisting of uh, Ezekiel 37 and the Valley of the Dry Bones. Uh, yeah, it's not about you speaking prophetically over the dry things in your life. And you're saying, what? It's not? No, it's not at all. Not even close. <laughs> then uh, we'll be heading down to Planet Shakers as we listen to Neil Smith talk about creating room. And he's going to take Second uh, Kings chapter 4 and the story of the Shunammite woman and come up with a totally bizarre application from this text that just is mind-bogglingly awful. But along the way in that one, we will demonstrate how that particular text actually is, is a type and shadow that points to Jesus. It really honestly does. Uh, then to round out our number one, we'll be listening to T.D. Jakes and um, a recent video that was uh, published uh, from his Woman Thou Art Loosed conference. And the name of the segment is Playing Catch-Up With Your Dreams. And uh, this has become a very popular twisting of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. And we'll do some work in the book of Habakkuk to demonstrate that Habakkuk 2, verse 2 is not a command for you to write down God's dream or vision for your life. No, far from it. In fact, um, T.D. Jakes, who is probably, arguably, you know, the, one of the most gifted communicators on planet Earth, is literally taking that gift of communication that he has and using it for evil by manipulating people. And uh, he'll be manipulating these women at this conference. And then in hour number two, uh, it's been a while since we've done a Troy Grambling sermon review. Did you know his son now preaches at Potential Church? Yeah. See, from time to time, we head back down to Potential Church. They're a church in Potential. They haven't reached their potential yet and actually became and have become a church. Troy Grambling, probably one of the most awful martexts in the world. And you know, what's a martex? Look it up. It, it, that's a good Google uh, vocabulary word for you. He is a martext and one of the worst on the planet. And uh, we will... Uh, be listening to his son, Tyler Grambling, and his message titled, Igniting Hope When You're at the End of Your Rope. Igniting Hope When You're at the End of Your Rope. And we'll see that Tyler Grambling is just a chip off the old block when it comes to uh, his inability to rightly handle a biblical text. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We got a lot of ground we need to be covering, and since we're going to start with a Real Talk Kim update, let's do this. I didn't know you was going to start out with Looking for a city built above. Looking 
If not, don't worry. They'll be bleeding in a minute. So uh, did you know Real Talk Kim is now a pastor? Yeah, <laughs> she <clears throat> apparently has been given the pastorate at this uh, church in uh, Georgia. And so we're going to be heading to Real Talk Kim's YouTube channel where the sermons that she delivers at this church of hers uh, <clears throat> are posted. And we're going to listen to the July 18th message titled, Raising Dry Bones, at least a portion of it. And uh, note that uh, we'll spend some time in Ezekiel 37, because Ezekiel 37, oddly enough, when you just apply the three rules for sound biblical exegesis, you know, context, context, and context, it actually tells you what the dry bones are all about and what they mean. And uh, so many people just ignore that and make it about what they want to make it about, which is exactly what uh, Real Talk Kim will be doing. So without any further ado, here we go. I look back at my life and I tell you one thing. I'm so thankful I went through every season. In fact, people ask me all the time, if you had it to do over, what would you change? I say, absolutely nothing. If I had it to do over, I would have done everything I did just younger so I could enjoy this version of me, okay? Okay, I would have done everything. I would have had the big mouth that drove the man to drink. I would have spent all my money. I would have I would have done everything that I always had done. I would have nay-nayed on the, on the bar just like I would have. Because some... <clears throat> Yeah, she nay-nayed on the on the bar and, and did all these other. So, okay, we're learning a lot about real talk, Kim. Here came out of that broken place that never came if I would have been shot myself on the front row all the time. Because there's something that comes when you lose everything called empathy. There's something, there's a passion that God needed you to get on the inside of you that you couldn't get if everything was handed to you on a silver platter. It says in Ezekiel 37, the hand of the Lord came upon me. I'm going through 10. Brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. So she's only going to go through 10 and that's the, the problem there. And set me down in the midst of the valley and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around and behold, there were very many in the open valley. And indeed they were very dry. He said to me, son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, oh, Lord, God, you know. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones. Prophesy 
to these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall. Some of y'all need to prophesy to your dread, dead, dry bones tonight. Yeah, no, I I don't need to do that. Now, let's take a look at the actual text itself uh, to see what's going on there. Um, And we'll note that God actually tells us what this vision of the Valley of the Dry Bones means. It's right here in Ezekiel 37. So the three rules for sound biblical exegesis, three, three, yeah, there we go, three. Three rules, they are context, Context and, yes, context. And so just put this back into context, and you'll see this isn't about you um, being told by God to prophesy over the dead bones in your life, and they'll come roaring back to life. Not even close. So Ezekiel 37, 1. The hand of Yahweh was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of Yahweh and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says Yahweh Elohim to the to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter in enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and I will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover your skin, and put breath in you, and they shall live, and you shall know that I am Yahweh. So you know, them bones, them bones, them dry bones. Yeah, you know the song. Anyway, so I prophesied as I was commanded, and I prophesied there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says Yahweh Elohim, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, and they, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Now, note, she was going to go to ten. That's ten right there. Uh, but that doesn't give us the explanation. So by ignoring the rest of the chapter, she can make this about whatever she wants to make it about. But God himself actually tells us what this means, and it's right here in this text. So then he said to me, verse 11, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Aha. Uh-huh. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says Yahweh Elohim, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. This is a prophecy regarding the resurrection. Uh huh. The day Jesus returns in glory to judge the living and the dead, God will raise us up from the grave. And important to note here, everyone who is a believer in Christ is saved and has been grafted into Israel. 
So this is a prophecy regarding all Christians then, as well as those who had faith that were living in the times of Ezekiel and the Old Testament times and had faith in, in the one true God for the future Messiah who would come to forgive their sins. So, behold, I will open your graves, raise you from the graves, O my people. I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am Yahweh when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am Yahweh. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. So the Valley of the Dry Bones prophecy, vision there in Ezekiel 37, it isn't about God raising the dead things in your life. No, not at all. This is about God raising you, you Christians, from the grave and putting sinew and bone and put bringing you back to life. This is about the resurrection. So uh, I don't know what Real Talk Kim's talking about, but... She isn't interested in actually rightly handling a biblical text. She's not even qualified to run the flannel board in a preschool Sunday school class. I, you know, I'm just saying. But uh, here she is as a pastor preaching a word, you know, and she's miserably missing out on what this thing is really about. The reason some of you can barely get up and don't want to go to sleep and don't want to wake up once you get to sleep is because you ain't prophesying the right stuff out of your mouth. You got to realize that this ain't work. Oh, wor- man. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> now we're getting a total smackdown. Yeah, we're getting a chewing out here. Yeah, we're getting nagged from the stage by Real Talk Kim because we're not prophesying things out of our... This text isn't telling us to prophesy nothing. Ezekiel was the one who was told to prophesy. This is There isn't some weird general application that we got to prophesy over the dead things in our life. I'm staying. So I'm about to praise myself right on out of this thing. And I might not be okay today and it might not be okay tomorrow, but bless God. As long as God is my King of Kings and my Lord of Lord, he said that my ladder shall be greater. He said, my ladder, my ladder, my ladder, my ladder. Shall is be- someone playing a Hammond B3? What on earth? Greater. You can't tell me that you walked up into this church tonight and everything. You've had all the greatest experiences of your life already happened. That is a lie from the pit of hell because God said in Ephesians 3.20, he going to do exceedingly abundantly. He didn't say nothing about your past or your dead dry bones. He said it is. Oh, man. Talk about adventures in missing the whole point. So it is well when you get to that place where it is well with my soul. It is well. Surely I will cause breath to enter into your, into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling. And the bones came together. 
bone to bone indeed as I looked the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them over but there was no breath in them see God starts doing a work before he finishes the project he's putting you back together again honey piece by piece piece by piece they're all cut She's just feeding him total pablum. She is not even remotely handling this text correctly. Oh, it may not be breathing yet. Oh, but it's coming back together. <laughs> it may not be breathing yet, man. But woo, it's what's coming back together. Good night. <laughs> Oh, oh, I prophesied. There was a noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also, he said to me, prophesy Prophesy. to breathe. breathe. Prophesy, son, a man, and say to breath. Thus says the Lord, O God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on me, these slain, and they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded. Some of y'all just need to start prophesying as, as he commanded. He, and all of us. <laughs> God's not commanding us to prophesy nothing over nothing, lady. This was... A... <laughs> A man given to Ezekiel in a vision. Oh, man. And God already explained in the chapter what this is all about. If you just, like, read past verse 10, you know, you'd be able to figure this out all on your own. That'd be hilarious. Wouldn't it be like if she, like, read past 10 and, like, got halfway through her sermon and went, Whoa! Whoa! I, I thought this was about... It ain't about what I was saying. And, and then she had to repent. That would be just great. But wow. <sighs> I think you get the point. So if you ever hear a, a pastor or a pastrix, not that there is a such thing as a pastrix, but if you ever hear a pastor or a pastrix telling you that God's commanding you to prophesy over the dry bones in your life, and you just need to obey you know, God, his command for you to prophesy you know you're dealing with somebody who is not qualified to be a pastor, and they're filling your hearts and your minds with nonsense. Run away. Flee like flee that place like it's Sodom and Gomorrah because you don't want to be there when the wrath of God falls on the roof. You see what I'm saying here? Moving along... At an English fair, one evening I was there when I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts, there they are standing in a row. Big one, small one, some as big as your head. Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts, every ball you throw will make me rich. There stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roly bola ball a penny a pitch. Singing roly bola ball a penny a pitch. Singing roly bola ball a penny a pitch. Roly bola ball, roly bola ball, singing roly bola ball a penny. 
That's right. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. We're heading over to Planet Shakers as we listen to Neil Smith uh, taking the story of the Shunammite woman from 2 Kings chapter 4, and she put basically put together a, an upper room for Elisha and turning it into some kind of weird application about how we need to create room, and by creating room in our lives, that that's somehow a step that's necessary in order to create our future. And by doing so, Neil Smith basically divulges uh, tacitly at this point that uh, he has no clue uh, what the Bible is really about or who it's really about, that being Jesus Christ. And we'll show you how the story of the Shunammite woman actually points to Christ. So uh, with that, let's get to it. We're heading over to uh, Planet Shakers. Here we go. Uh, Leonie and I were, um, you know, a number of years ago, I kept hearing this statement. I kept hearing your kids get old and leave home really quickly. And uh, it happens so fast, you, you know, it's hard to to, um, you know, to, to, to fathom how quick it happens. And I kept hearing it. And when you keep hearing the same thing over and over again, you can either ignore it and say, oh, well, that's their thing, but we've got plenty of time. Or you can hear it. And on this occasion, we heard it and we thought, we've got to do something so that we don't have a mentality where our kids grow up fast and we look back and go, oh, I wish we'd spent more time or, oh, I wish we'd done something in that scenario. So we made a decision at a point in our life where, we, we could have uh, put investment into, you know, into a fund or we could have maybe bought an investment property. But we thought the greatest investment at that point of our life was not furthering our financial gain, but it was actually sowing a seed into our family. And so every two years we made a decision that we would have an exceptional holiday. And, and when we came back from the holiday, we would actually talk to the family and we'd choose where we wanted to go next. In fact, even on the holiday, we would often do that. Now my kids are not kids anymore, 21 years of age, uh, you know, and, and my son, Ryan, is 18. <coughs> and he's away for the first time by himself on tour with the guys doing the social media and stuff. And, and, and suddenly here I am. With my daughter over at our northeast campus, and we hardly see her with stuff going on. My son away, and me and my wife now like orphan parents. <laughs> but it happened quickly. But the great news is this when I think of my family, when I think about times, I can look back and we as a family joke and we talk about remember that moment. We made a decision to create room for our family in a certain area. And now we are continuing to reap the memories, the reward of what it is to be, you know, a great family together. We got, you know, there's all the challenges that families have, but in overall, our kids are serving God. Overall, our kids are, are balanced and involved in, the, in church and in relationships with friends and, and, and great things happening. And in no small part, we decided to create a space in the midst of all the busyness for us as a family, and now we reap the reward of that. But church, I want to ask you the question, what are you... So notice in the setup here, we created the space so that we can have great holidays as a family. And so the the key phrase, the main phrase, the main concept, he's already introduced it, although it's kind of weird, it's a little uh, contrived and a wee bit pushed and stretched, if you know what I mean. 
And so here he's saying, we, we did, you know, we did, we created space. We created room. So what are you creating room for in your life that, yeah. And now he's going to kind of take a hard turn into the actual sermon concept itself and before too long get into the actual biblical text. But I did want you to hear the setup prior to our first break. But we'll go ahead and take our first break. And uh, when we come back, we will uh, listen to more of Neil Smith from Planet Shakers as he gets into uh, Second Kings chapter 4. And like I've been promising, we'll actually show you how this in type and shadow points to Christ. But uh, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. More of Neil Smith and then T.D. Jakes uh, mangling Habakkuk 2-2. But stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. they flying? They're flying the code orange flag. It's the SSF Audacity. This is our chance, men. This egregious foe has been plaguing the seas for long enough. Two arms! Man the battle stations and hoist the colors. Aye, aye, sir. Man the battle stations and hoist the colors. Band drummer and man battle station. Aye, aye, sir. You heard the man. Get to work. Come on, keep going. The enemy's not going to wait for us. Put your back to your legs. Come on, get those fighters. Get them weird out. No warning is complete. Come on, let's get go. Go, go, go. Captain, sir, they're turning to meet us. With this clear weather, we couldn't have had the element of surprise. Well, no matter. We have the wind on our side and our men are ready. We should be pulling up alongside them any minute now. Give me a status report! Sir, the enemy ship has us outgunned by at least three to one. 
The gunner's mates are reporting that we're running low on gunpowder, and half the crew is suffering from Montezuma's revenge. Never fear, my good man, for it says that with God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. If you say so, Captain Furnick. They're now within firing range, Captain. Mr. Smithers, send them a... Hang on, let me do this myself. Send them a warning shot off of their port bow. Fire cannons, I sir! That was merely a warning shot, Captain. They could have very well have hit us. I think they wished for us to surrender to avoid bloodshed. Nonsense! You think we would surrender in an hour of triumph? God has clearly stated that no weapon formed against you will prosper. We can't lose! Let loose the cannons! But, but we're not within silence! If I wanted your opinion, I'd have given it to you. I say, fire! I've never seen a warning shot where they used all their cannons before. The blasted fool shot before he was in range. I can only assume that he means to not surrender. Quickly fire a barrage into their port side while they reload. Aye, aye, sir. Fire the cannons! God on my side. He said this to me, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Why Why aren't we firing our cannons? We've now lost half our cannons due to the last attack. Come on, men. We can't lose. Aye, aye, sir. Are they even trying anymore? By all accounts, I believe they are. Let's pull up alongside and see if we can't reason with them. It would be bad form to slaughter them without mercy. Hello, over there! Go away! We have nothing to say to you! I wanted to negotiate the terms of your surrender. My surrender? It is you who will be surrendering to us. What on earth is he talking about, Captain? Maybe he's suffering from malnutrition and heat stroke? No, I, I think he's serious. Now look here. You're outgunned with no way of winning. We wish to show you mercy. No weapon formed against us will prosper. Why is he quoting the Bible? No, a quote would require a context. What he's done is called proof texting. Enough talk, men. Ready? Aim. What was that? I couldn't hear you over the sound of your mass being demolished. But, but, uh, no! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Oh, would you look at that? Your rudder is gone, too. <clears throat> It'll be a little difficult for you to sail without it, don't you think? I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Is it me? Or is your ship now sinking? Nah, maybe it is me. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ 
be with you. If it's all the same to you, I think we've lost this fight. I'm surrendering. Geronimo! Take me with you. I can't take another minute with this lunatic. Stop it! Stop it right now! All of you come back! We, we, we can't lose! We have God on our side! We shall prevail! We will... Well, that was surprisingly easy. Makes me wonder how they were even viewed as a threat in the first place. Most inept sailors to ever sail the seven seas. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck. Because we now, at Pirate Christian Media, have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twistbusters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, exclusive Skype interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster Fire. So if you're looking for some extra Pirate Christian Media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and subscribe. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that the Valley of the Dry Bones isn't about speaking life over the dead things in your life, because it's not. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button 
Or if you'd like to uh, become a patron on Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. And if you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, we're heading back to Planet Shakers. We've been listening to Neil Smith, and he's talking about creating space, creating room. Because, I mean, after all, isn't that what the uh, story of the Shunammite woman is all about? Creating space. There's an application for us there. No, actually, there isn't. But uh, let's listen in as he continues with this message. You creating space for? What are you creating room for in your life? Because what you create room for is ultimately what you're going to become or what's going to become of you. And I want to encourage you this morning from this passage of scripture. And if you've got a Bible, you can turn to 2 Kings or you can look on the screens, chapter 4 and verse 8. Here it is. And this is the story of the Shemanite woman. One day, Elijah went to Sunnah. Now, Shunem actually means a place of rest. Okay, so Elijah went to Shunem or to a place of rest. And a well-to-do woman, notice it says well-to-do woman. When you're reading the Bible, it doesn't always talk about people's net gain, their financial capacity. But in this case, it exaggerates or it accentuates the point, well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room. Or if you take a small out, it says, let's make room. Let's make room on the roof and put it in a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then, he- If you take the small out, then it's just let's make room. Since when did removing words in the biblical text become a sound way of exegeting it so that we can properly understand what it means? Hmm. He can stay there whenever he comes to us. One day when Elijah came, he went up to his room and lay down there. Isn't it interesting how she made a room for him and it wasn't long before he was, it was being stated here that it was his room. She owned it, but it had become his. And I I want you to understand that. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shumanite woman. So he called her and she stood before him. Elijah said to him, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. What can be done for her, Elijah asked. Gehazi said, she has no son and her husband is old. Notice something in this. He asked her the question, what can be done? And she couldn't come up with an answer. She leaves the room. Now uh, Elijah starts talking to his servant, trying to concoct, what can we do? She's done this for us. What can we do for her? And she's not now speaking on behalf of herself. She's speaking on behalf of the observation or she's been spoken on behalf of the observation of what she doesn't have. She has no son and her husband is old. Then Elijah said, call her. So he called her and she stood, (coughs) stood in the doorway. About this time next year, 
Elijah said, you will hold a son in your arms. And look at her response. Her response is an incredible response, not the response you expect, but she actually says, no, my Lord. She objected, please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant and the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elijah had told her she would. Today, I wanna talk to you about creating room. What are you creating room for? Because intentionally... (laughs) Oh, so painful. What are you creating room for? Yeah, that's not what this story is about at all. Now, uh, remember, Jesus said the scriptures are about him. They testify about him. So let's take a look at the story. If you have your Bible, open up to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4, and we'll note what's going on in this passage. And note that this story falls into a particular recurring theme within Scripture, and that is a barren woman by the hand of God gives birth. Uh-huh. Now, we'll note that's one of the recurring themes. So the, the child who is born to her is born by an act of God, and this child does something very interesting. He dies and is resurrected. So can you think of anybody in the Bible who was miraculously born to a barren woman, uh-huh, and then who died and rose again. Now you're thinking, barren woman? Is that any way to describe Mary? Yeah, of course. How could a virgin give birth? There's nobody more barren than a virgin. So you're going to know it in some ways. This is prefiguring and type and shadow. Jesus, uh-huh. <laughs> Miraculous birth. Death, resurrection, just saying, you know. So here's the story, 2 Kings 4, 8. One day, Elisha, not Elijah, Elisha, went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold, now I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room for him. And by the way, the uh, the Hebrew word for small, katan, is there. So you can't just take it out. Let us make a small room for him on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. Now, note a little bit of a note here. This is something that is a, a detail that is often overlooked and missed because of a misunderstanding of the Greek word kataluma. But uh, when Jesus was born, it doesn't say there was no room for them in the inn, I-N-N, but in the the kataluma, in the the kataluma, no joke, is an upper room. (laughs) I'm not making that up. So things happen in upper rooms in, in Scripture. And so Jesus himself, there was no room for him in the kataluma, uh, so you know he was he he was given birth to in a manger, so here it kind of runs the opposite. But we have some of the details uh, regarding the birth of Christ that show up here regarding the upper room. So make room for you know him, him put upper walls, a table, a chair, and whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. 
So one day he came there and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. Uh, when he and when he had called her, she stood before him, and he said, and she and he said to him, say now to her, see, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said to her, so what then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered. Well, she has no son, and her husband's old. Okay, so she's been unable to conceive. She's considered to be barren, and her husband's old. Sounds like Abram. You know what I'm saying? So he said, call her. And when uh, when he had called her, she stood in the doorway, and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about that time, the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. And when the child had grown, he went uh, he went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, "Oh my head, my head!" And my fa- and the father said to his servant, "Carry him to his mother." And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door behind him, and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, Why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon or Sabbath. She said, All is well. And then she saddled the donkey, and she said to her servant, Urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with your with the child? And she answered, All is well. And then when she came to the mountain, to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. Uh-huh. A little bit of a note here. You think about the, the woman clinging to the feet of Jesus after the resurrection. So Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone. She's in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So then she said, Did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, Tie up your garments, take my staff in your hand, and go. If you meet anyone, don't greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply, and lay my staff on the face of the child." Then the mother of the child said, As Yahweh lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he rose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound, no sign of life. Therefore he returned to meet him and told him the child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to Yahweh. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, and as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon the child. The child sneezed seven times. The child opened his eyes, and then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. And when he called her, and when he came to him, 
And when she came to him, he said, pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground, and then she picked up her son and went out. Now, that's the story in its entirety. So you'll note, God gave this woman a son. She was barren. The son died and rose again. I, it's just, you sit there and go, man, in type and shadow, some of the details regarding the announcement of Jesus' birth are there. Read Luke 1, and you can see how the themes kind of work into it. And again, this is this is not a, a minor theme. This is a recurring theme within the Old Testament, how the barren woman gives birth to a son. And, you know, it's just uh, amazing how this theme works. And all of it pointing to, in one sense or another, prophetically, in type and shadow, pointing to Jesus Christ. This isn't about you somehow obeying God and applying, you know, I need to make room because the Shunammite woman made a room. I need to make room for stuff in my... No, that's not what this is about at all. Ultimately, it points to Christ. Neil Smith doesn't understand how to rightly handle God's word. He thinks it's about you. And now he's coming up with the weird application. Of course, I just have to ask, what is it? What is exactly does it mean? Does it look like for me to quote unquote make room, you know, and listen to what he's going to say we need to make room for? or unintentionally, you're creating room for what your future will be. You're creating room for what... I'm creating room for what my future will be. What does that mean? What you're going to step into next. And I today want to stir you. I want to encourage you. I want to remind you that God has a plan for your life that's far greater than you can do yourself. So, so I, I need to make room for my my destiny, my purpose. That's not what this text is about at all. So let's make sure that we're creating the right space, the right room for what God is going to do in our life. If we look at this story, it's an incredible story because here's a woman who chooses to build a room. She, she, the, the, the commentators would say that she wasn't a Christian. She was a wealthy woman, a society woman. She had a wrap around her. There were no Christians in the time of Elisha. There were those who believed in the one true God. And the details of all of this is it shows that she's a believer in the same in the God of Elisha. Yeah, this is how this this is why, you know, she's got faith and it's demonstrated in her good works. This we know for a fact because the text says that she knows that Elisha is a man of God. And she herself confesses that Yahweh is her God in the story itself of property, the property she lived on, a beautiful house, but she had a huge property that was a agricultural property. It was producing much wealth. So she had no need. She had no uh, something that she needed for herself. But there was something in this woman that was a secular woman that didn't know God, that saw the holy man, as she referred to him, the man of God, and there was something on him that she wanted in her house. So she made a decision that she was going to create space in her house for what she wanted. And you see, it's important to understand here because we recognize that often with business comes opportunity or opportunism. And, and often the be- with business comes opportunity. What are you talking about? This text has nothing to do with business opportunities. Best business people are opportunistic. They see something and they go after it. 
But we in the church sometimes, if we're not careful, can actually stand back and wait for something to happen rather than saying, God, you've given us a capacity and we want that. We're going to go after it. The Bible says knock upon the door. It doesn't say stand back and wait for the door to open. You've got to actually do something by faith to actually see that door open. And he or she understands the principle that what I create space for is what I'm going to step into. No, nothing in the text at all hints at or even implies that she understood the principle that what I make space for, I'm going to be able to step into. This is utter nonsense. Neil Smith has no clue how to rightly handle a biblical text. Moving along. I've got 90,000 pounds in my pajamas. Time for a money-grubbing televangelist update. I've got lots of lovely lira now. The Deutsche Mark's getting dearer and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money you can make a splash. Quite as wonderful as money, 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 money. money. Nothing like a newly minted money, 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 money. Everyone must angle for the butchness of a banker. It's accountancy that waits the world go round, 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 you round, can round. You keep the largest ways, but it's only just a phase. For it's money, money, money makes the world go round. Money, 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 money. All right, so we're heading over to uh, T.D. Jakes's uh, Potter's House program, and uh, the name of the message is Playing Catch-Up with Your Dreams. Not catch-up like in Heinz, you know, whatever, uh, but catch-up like, you know, you're, you've fallen behind and you need to catch up. So uh, he's going to be twisting Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2, and literally using his communication gift, because he clearly has one of the best on the planet, in order to manipulate these women into basically reciting and believing nonsense, not at all what God's Word says or teaches. So here's T.D. Jakes from the uh, Women Thou Art Loose 2014 address, which recently went up on the Internet, uh, playing catch-up with your dream. Here we go. to Habakkuk, the prophet, who is waiting on an answer from God because he doesn't understand where he is. He doesn't understand what season he's in. He doesn't understand what's going on in his life. And God gives him simple instructions. He said, write the vision. Okay. Not the problem. (laughs) Yeah, wow, this guy's slick. Yeah, so... He didn't even realize what what season he was in. And so he was asking God questions. You know, what season am I in, God? And God says, write the vision. Don't write the problem. Write the vision. Oh, man. This, this guy is a master manipulator and a master twister of Scripture. Not the obstacle. Not the need. Not the lack. He said, don't write about what you lack. No, he didn't. God nowhere says don't write about what you lack. That's not what this is about. Wow. Vision. Write it. 
Right. What All you... right. Step one, write it. Yeah, just, you got to write this vision down because, you know, Habakkuk 2, too, you know. Ah, man, I think we're going to have to look at the biblical text from this point forward. Establish what's going on there because when you see what the Habakkuk is really about, oh, boy. Yeah, you'll realize this T.D. Jakes guy is making merchandise of these ladies. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. And you're going to note there's a little bit of a dialogue going on between Habakkuk and God. And Israel has become extremely wicked. And Habakkuk is literally crying out to God against Israel. And here's what it says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. So you'll note that Habakkuk 1, verses 1 through 4, is Habakkuk literally kind of complaining, crying out, God, where are you? Look at all this evil going on. There is no justice. The righteous are surrounded by the wicked. Justice is perverted. Are you, are you going to act or what? And so now God is going to answer. Verse 5, so look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, and watch what God says he's going to do. I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. So God is saying, I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans against the people of Israel as punishment uh, you know, for, you know, against Israel. Their horses are swifter, the Chaldeans, their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the wolves, uh, the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly uh, like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. Uh, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. That's the context of this passage. So there's a little bit more dialogue between Habakkuk and the Lord. And uh, the, when we get to chapter 2, it's now Habakkuk's turn. But note, note God has already said what's going to happen in the vision the Chaldeans are coming, and they're going to be judgment against wicked Israel because Habakkuk's crying out, God, are you not going to do anything? So Habakkuk 2.1 then says this, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint, his complaint against Israel, because of their wickedness and their injustice and their evil. So the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run 
who reads it. And so the idea here is let them know. I've given you the vision that Chaldeans are coming as judgment against you. And by making it plain, the person who reads this vision from God in this prophecy from God to Habakkuk, that he might read it and go, oh, the Chaldeans are coming. And so run, flee the judgment of God. That's literally what is going on here. This isn't you know some command for you that you're going to get a vision from God, so write it down and make it plain. Not at all. So the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. That's what this is about. So if you've ever heard anyone tell you that, yeah, this this is about you need to vision board and when God gives you your unique purpose in life, you need to write down your purpose, you know, make it plain. This uh, you can you recognize that's not what Habakkuk is saying at all. And that and you clearly if anyone teaches you that this is what Habakkuk is about, they're a wolf. They're a false teacher. They're twisting God's word. You need to flee. You need to leave that church immediately. And you need to stop listening to uh, T.D. Jakes as well. Watch what he does with this, though. I mean, it, this is this is a master class on Bible twisting from T.D. Jakes. See, woman of God, 10 years from now, what do you see? What do you see? In your spirit, when you, when you get down to your core, what do you see if... if, if what would you what would you do if money were no problem? <laughs> what? Habakkuk two two has nothing to do with that. So he he's creating the the, the the expectation, the understanding in their minds that this text is basically saying God's gonna give you a vision and and you know if money were no object, what would you do? Wow. Well, it's no problem. I'm going to try y'all. What would you do if money were no problem? Now, did you see what he did there where he just basically went, ah, to that group over there? They weren't excited enough. Again, this is a manipulation technique. So you guys weren't excited enough. I'm going to go over here to this group, see if they're more excited. And see, you know, this is the way in which he's whipping them up into a complete frenzy. And again, this is utter manipulation. Well, it's no problem. It's no problem. It's no problem. It is. I'll try y'all. What would you do if money were no problem? Well, would you tell your sister it's no problem? It's no problem. Don't let not having the money dry up your pen. Write the vision. Don't worry about who's going to pay for Habakkuk 2.2 is not a command for you to write a vision. It was a command by God to the prophet Habakkuk to write this prophetic vision of God's judgment against Israel that he was sending the Chaldeans to slaughter him. Don't worry about who's going to execute it. Don't worry about who's going to stand in agreement with it. All he asked you to do was write the vision. He didn't ask you to... No, he didn't. God does not command any of us to write a vision. Habakkuk already obeyed this command. For the vision, he asked you... Oh, he, 
who can I give this baby to? Maybe y'all are taking yeah, he, He's pregnant with something here. He's gonna, he needs to give a baby to somebody. Who wants a baby? <laughs> what? Just write the vision. Go ahead and write the business plan. Go ahead and write the business plan. Go ahead and write the purpose, the vision, the purpose, and goal. Go- Habakkuk 2.2 is not about some business plan that's God that God's going to give you. Wow. Go ahead and write the vision. You have been so focused on where you've been that you can't stretch for where you're going. What on this has nothing to do with Habakkuk. All our prayers are backdated. Oh God, have mercy on me. You know what happened to me when I was a child. You know what I went through when I went to college. Oh Lord, I'm still getting over my first husband. Girl, you on your fourth husband. Still talking about your third. Notice he's not talking about sin, maybe like the sin of adultery. (laughs) He's filling their minds with this idea that God's going to give them a vision or a purpose or a business plan. They got to write it down. I know it sounds hard, but slap somebody and say, get over it. He didn't say write the past. He didn't say write the pain. He said write the vision. No, God is not commanding you to write no vision. What do you see? What do you hope for? What what I'm seeing right now is a false teacher who's twisting God's word and making merchandise of a room full of a lot of women. Believe. He said, write the vision. And then he says to Habakkuk, Read what you wrote. Write it. And then read it. Yeah, that's not what God said. Let's review. So again, you know, God said he's going to send the Chaldeans to slaughter the Israelites for their wickedness. Because Habakkuk's complaining about the fact that God doesn't seem to be doing anything about all the wickedness and evil going on in Israel. So the Lord answer me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. God did not say, write the vision, then read it. No, no, no. He said, write the vision so the one who does read it would flee for their lives. Unbelievable. Remind yourself of what you said. Remind yourself of where you're going. Write it. Read it. And then run it. (laughs) Oh, man, this is painful. Then run it. No. Again, write it so the one who reads it would run like in flee for their lives. Unbelievable. And they're all sitting there going, yay. 
Yay! God's going to give me a vision. I got All I got to do is write it, read it, and run it. He's just totally filling their heads with utter nonsense. And he is one of the most gifted communicators ever. And he's using his gift for the demonic. Before the year is out. Say it with me. Before the year is out. I'm going to write it. I'm going to read it. And I'm going to run it. Let me tell you something. Oh, they are pleased with him. Yeah, I'm going to write it. I'm going to read it. I'm going to run it. Yeah, God's giving me a vision. I'm going to be rich and wealthy. And Yeah, nonsense. Unbelievable. So I, you now know what Habakkuk chapters 1 and 2 really are about. And what Habakkuk 2.2 is really about, it's not about some vision that God's going to give you. <laughs> like, not at all. It's about the vision that God gave to Habakkuk. That's what the very first verse of Habakkuk 1.1 is about, by the way. And uh, the promise of God's judgment against Israel, uh, against their wickedness by sending the Chaldeans to slaughter them. So, yeah, not exactly a, a happy uh, prophecy when you consider the implications of it. But it definitely is not about you making sure to write some vision God's going to give you. Then you read it back, and then you got to run it. Unbelievable. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. We're heading to Potential Church and uh, listening to Tyler Grambling, son of Troy Grambling. Messing up an Old Testament story. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hey, everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society, and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Yeah. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out!
Oi, Captain, we got ourselves a heretic. (laughs) (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. of Fighting for the Faith, Sermon Review Time, heading down to Potential Church, it's been a while, see if they graduated yet and became a real church, they were always a church in Potentia every time we reviewed a Troy Grambling sermon, so let's do this right. Good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Potential Church in Florida. Tyler Gramling presiding. The name of the message is Igniting Hope When You're at the End of Your Rope. Igniting Hope When You're at the End of Your Rope. If you're thinking this guy's father can't preach his way out of a paper bag, a wet one at that, will he be able to outdo his father? No. This is the reason why there's still a potential church, and not actually a real one yet. And you'll ex- you'll ex- experience why that is in just a second, so go ahead and buckle up, sit down, We're going to get right to it. Here's Tyler Grambling and Igniting Hope when you're at the end of your rope. Here we go. Listen, y'all are the real OGs coming to church during the World Cup. All right, so give yourself a round of applause. Turn to the person next to you, say you look good. Reach to the person in front of you and just give them a nice massage. Work out those kinks. What? Yeah, that's not awkward at all. Hey, if you're sitting in the front row somewhere, you are extra blessed this morning. You enjoying your summer so far? 
Good, good. Well, Pastors Troy and Steph are actually away celebrating their 29th wedding anniversary. That's today. And uh, they'll be back with us uh, shortly. But I'm excited to kick off the Hope Series. And we do a Hope Series every year. Usually it's in the month of August. We moved it up because we've got some exciting things going in fall that we'll share more with you about But uh, it's going to be exciting, going to be a fun weekend. And, you know, we do a hope series every year because we believe our world needs more hope. And listen, this is a series. This is the series to invite that family member that needs a little bit of extra hope, that friend, that spouse, whatever relationship it may be in your life to the hope series because we're believing that through these next few weeks as we're gathering around the topic of hope that God is going to give you that strength you need for that one more step and I don't know who it is so God's going to give you the strength you need for that one more step because of your hope series what are you causing them to hope God is going to do Somebody in here is on the very edge of their breakthrough, and it's through this series. God's going to give you that strength to take that next step and step into your death. Really? So they're at the verge of their breakthrough. Yeah, let me back that up. Listen again. We're gathering around the topic of hope that God is going to give you that strength you need for that one more step. And I don't know who it is, but somebody in here is on the very edge of their breakthrough. And it's through this series, God's going to give you that strength to take that next step and step into your destiny. Amen? No, I can't say amen to that. That's absolute, total manipulation of these people. And it's not even close to what God's word reveals at all. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Judges uh, chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. Now, Now, Judges chapter 6 is the story of Gideon. We'll do a little bit of work in this story. It is actually multiple chapters long. But, you know, suffice it to say, he's going to really mess this up. Now, I want to give you a a, a biblical principle here, a, a hermeneutic concept, and that is that the idea that Scripture interprets Scripture. It does. And so I actually want you to turn to Nehemiah, Chapter 9, Nehemiah chapter 9. I'm going to read something to you from Nehemiah chapter 9 to help you understand a proper way of exegeting and understanding the book of Judges where we find the story of Gideon. But let's let Tyler uh, kind of spin some things out here. Give you some context to what's going down uh, in, in this point in history. Cue sappy music. <laughs> At the beginning of the sermon, really? So the sappy music is an, uh, an emotional manipulation technique. Usually it's reserved for the end to create the false impression that God, the Holy Spirit's falling on uh, the audience. So maybe he's ha- using it at the beginning to make the, make people think that the Holy Spirit is with him as he's reading out the context, not the actual text itself, of, the, uh, of uh, where we find Gideon. See, this is a time in history where Israel has no king. And they're living as foreigners in the land that God had promised to them. And judges. Yeah, there's a reason for that. We'll see that in Nehemiah 9. Judges are ruling over the region. And the Israelites are under the control of Midian. And the Midianites, they're, they're, these, these are bad guys. I mean, they steal the crops of the Israelites, they persecute them. They beat them down. And Israel's crying out to God saying, God, where are you? Why have you abandoned us? And God hears the cry of Israel and he responds through a man named Gideon. 
And see, Gideon is not the... Yeah, no. God does respond, but God responds via a prophet first. All right, so let's do our biblical work. Okay, so we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9, and I'm going to start partway through this amazing summary of the history of Israel that you find in Nehemiah chapter 9, and we're going to look at verse 22 so that we can get the context when we get to the part that relates to the children of Israel in the book of Judges. So Nehemiah chapter 9, 22 you know, it, and so you, know, you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, and the king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven. You brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. This is what God was doing for them. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and rich land and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and they were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and they rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and they killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you and they committed great blasphemies. This is then the time of the judges. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you, and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. Uh huh. The book of Judges is a, is a book of saviors. Uh huh. Israel sins, God gives them over. Uh, to, you know, to, it sells them into slavery for their rebellion. They cry out to God. God sends a savior. That's what the judges were. So all of that will help us understand now what's going on in Judges chapter six and Judges chapter six, verse one. It says this. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh and Yahweh gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come like locusts in number both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to Yahweh. When the people of Israel cried out to Yahweh on account of the Midianites, Yahweh sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, 
I led you out from Egypt, brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am Yahweh, your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of Yahweh came and, and so that's, the, the context, a prophet came and explained to them why they were being sold to the Midianites it is because of their rebellion against God, taking God's law, casting it behind them and engaging in idolatry. But Tyler here um, is not giving us the proper context of the story type that you would think that would step in and save the day. He wasn't the, the macho kind of superhero kind of guy, but God used Gideon to respond to Israel's cry. And I want to share with you in Judges chapter six, our story is going to start in verse 11. It says the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah and belong, that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon responded, Pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Have you ever been in that place? Maybe you're talking to a pastor or a friend and they're... No, I've never been in a wine press threshing wheat. Never. I've never done it. Yeah, so I've never been in this place. Notice he's allegorizing this passage. They're saying, well, well, God's got a plan. God's going to use it for good. But you just can't see it in your mind. God, why is this happening? Why does it feel like all hell has broken loose in my life? And this is where Gideon's at. He's saying, well, God, if you're with me, then why has all this happened to us? And he says, where are all your wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Now, (laughs) this is an amazing passage, and he's totally oblivious to just how amazing it is. And what makes it so amazing is that this is an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. The angel of the Lord is none other than Jesus himself. Let me read again, Judges 6.11. Now the angel of Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, came and sat under the terebinth at Orpha, which belonged to Joash the Abarezerite, while his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the winepress to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of Yahweh appeared to him and said to him, Yahweh is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if Yahweh is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all of his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not Yahweh bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And watch verse 14. And Yahweh turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel. And so he's literally looking at God. That's exactly what's going on. And that becomes very clear to me and very clear in the text when uh, when Gideon basically says to the angel of the Lord, let me uh, give you a, you know an offering, a sacrifice. 
and and he realizes what ha- that the, it's the angel of the Lord. Here's what happens. In uh, starting at verse 19, Gideon went into his house, prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from the ephah of flour and the meat to put into a basket and broth. He put it in a pot and brought it to him, the angel of the Lord, under the terebinth uh, and uh, presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat, the unleavened cakes, put them on this rock, pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand, touched the meat, the unleavened cakes, Fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, my Lord, for now I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He's afraid he's going to die. But God says to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So in this text, we literally have an appearance of the pre-incarnate Jesus you know, there's God, the angel of the Lord, speaking to Gideon. I mean, this this is all about Jesus at the end of the day, and Jesus even makes a cameo appearance in this story. Um, so far, uh, Tyler seems to be oblivious to that fact. Maybe he'll figure it out along the way, but we continue. Am I not sending you? You know, I don't know what measure of strength you walked in here today with, but turn to the person next to you and say, get ready. Turn to the other person and say, stretch out your hands. Because God is getting ready to increase the measure of your strength, not because... No, he's not. This is not a promise of this text, just because you're reading it out and twisting it. We are good, but because he is good. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. That we have the freedom and privilege to worship you this Sunday afternoon, God. Father, we commit these next few minutes to you. I pray that you would open up every heart, that you would open up every mind. Give us eyes to see. Because God, we've not come just to sit in another church service or to hear a fancy message or to be entertained. We've come to be transformed. So Father, I remove every heavy burden every distraction from our minds you remove them tyler um what are you using to remove them with do you have like some special removal blessing or anointing that you can do that with how are you doing that because father this is your time i pray the words that are spoken out would be your words not my own Nothing more and nothing less. For Father, we know that when your word goes out, it will not return void, but it will accomplish what you've intended. And we declare that. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen. Give him a shout of praise. Come on, if he's good, we're going to cheer in church this afternoon. Well, for those of you who may be a first-time guest, we're excited to have you here Um, And you may not know this, my wife and I are expecting our first child in November, a baby boy, but y'all, November is quickly approaching, okay? I mean, it feels like just yesterday we were finding out and we were telling people and we are 24 weeks today, so time's approaching, you know, we're, we're getting there. And, you know, people ask me every weekend, are you nervous? And I'm like, no, should I be? Like, we're still, she's not in her head like, yes, you need to be nervous. See, I just feel like I am just like ecstatic. You know, people are like tell you, get all the sleep you can now. 
And I don't know. I'm just like, is it weird? I'm not going to feel this way once the baby's out. But I'm like looking forward to like getting up in the night and like, I don't know. I'm looking forward to those things. Like we're excited and it just feels like we're on cloud nine. People ask, are you ready? No, we're not ready at all. We've bought nothing. We haven't done any of the classes yet. We haven't done any of the things I think you're supposed to do when you're becoming a parent. But needless to say, we're excited. We're thrilled. Um, but I do tend to be a bit of a worry wart. And even from the very beginning of this pregnancy, like I'm the one that's doing the research, keeping tracks of the week, you know, what are healthy foods to eat? What should we be doing? And I will tell you, I'm driving my wife crazy. She will tell you the other day. I, I what on earth does any of this have to do with this text? I walked into um, the bedroom and she was laying in bed. She was reading a book and she had a face mask on and I walk in and I look at her. <gasps> She's like, what happened? I'm like, you have a face mask on. She's like, so? I'm like, well, did you even look at the back at the ingredients? What if it has chemicals? Woman, you are carrying my baby. She's ready to get this baby out. Although I don't know that it's going to get any better once the baby's here. But um, so, so, you know, and I'm, I'm also like, you know, okay, babe, don't pick that up. No, you can't carry the laundry upstairs. No, don't pick up, you know, this, that. And, and Amber, if you know Amber, she's an independent woman, y'all. She's in beast mode. I mean, I've seen her pick up couches, recliners. Like, she's a strong woman. But the rules have changed. She's carrying my child. So I can't let her pick up, you know, a grocery bag. And so a couple of weeks ago, we were uh, coming to church. It was Father's Day weekend. And we had picked up some gifts uh, for some of our dads that are a part of our staff team that we lead. And Amber, she is so good at, at giving gifts. I mean, let me tell you, if you're going to get a gift, you want to get a gift from Amber because she, there's always a theme and like, you know, she's, the presentation's always nice. She's just very gifted at that. So we had just picked up some gifts and we had all these bags and we get out of the car and Amber starts to pick up some of the bags. And I'm like, whoa, stop. Like, girl, you are pregnant. You are carrying my child. You cannot be lifting these bags. Let me do it, right? So I start picking up all the bags. And you know how you do. You just start, like, putting them down your arm. Come on, how many of you know you would rather lose circulation in your arm and have it amputated than make that extra trip to the car when you got them groceries? And so we're over in South Lot, and I'm like, well, I'm not walking all the way back. So I'm carrying it all. I've got arm, this arm loaded, this arm loaded, and we're walking. And I'm like, you know what? It's all good because I missed my workout this morning, so I'll just do some curls while we're walking into church today. And Amber tells me, she's like, babe, you need to be careful because some of those bags have blankets, and they also have some glass root beer bottles. And if you're not careful, I, do, I don't want you to carry too much. Drop it because it's going to ruin the gifts. I'm like, Psh. girl, you don't even know. All right. I am strong. I got this. No big deal. And, you know, sometimes you can be carrying something and it seems really light at the time. But then as you know, you kind of carry it more, you kind of start to feel all right, a little, a little uncomfortable, you know? And so we make it halfway and I just kind of set it down just to, just to re get my grip, you know, reestablish my grip. Lift it up, we walk into church, and we set the bags down, and Amber reaches into one of the bags, and she pulls out one of the blankets, come to find out one of the root beer bottles had broken and exploded all over the gifts that we had just bought for our team. And she pulls it out, and I look at her face, and listen, Amber is not normally an emotional person, but she's pregnant, and some things have changed. I mean, I will tell you, like, some days I look, I'm like... I, where is the woman that I married? 
Cause like she ain't here. All right. And, and, and I look at her face and she just starts to, to like scrunch her face up and she, see, she doesn't cry very often, but when she does, she's one of them ugly criers. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know how you got the cute criers and you got the ugly criers and she's an ugly crier. You know, the cute criers, it's just like little teardrops. And when she cries, it's like, like, you know, when babies, they like, they start to cry, but nothing comes out for like three minutes and it's just, that's Amber. And I'm looking, I'm like, no, 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 what, 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 what happened? What, what did I do? How can I fix it? And she just looks at me. She's like, it's hopeless. I'm like, no, 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 don't cry. Don't cry. Hold it together. There's volunteers all around. Like, just hold it together. It's all good. I can fix it. And I was like, where's a blow dryer? I'm just going to get a blow dryer and I'm just going to like. I'm sure it'll get the stains out, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm like, I'll, I'll get a blow dryer. She's like, no. <laughs> and the tears are starting to form and I can see it. And, 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 and right then my parents walk into church and my dad comes up. He's like, how y'all doing? You excited for Father's Day? Yes, I'm fine. I'm excited. Like, it's all good. It's all good. Just don't panic. Don't panic. My mom walks up to my wife and kind of just lays her hand on her back. And that is what like then set her off. She just went into full on tear mode. Okay. Y'all know the emoji. That's like the waterfalls. It's like, nobody cries like that until they cry like that. Like just that, that was Amber and my mom, she, 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 you know, in her sweet little accent, Oh, sweetie, what's wrong? What's wrong? And and Amber's like, the kids, they're right. It's hopeless. <laughs> my mom's like pulling cash out of her wallet. She's like, here, baby, I- I'll give you some more. I'll give you some cash to go get some new gifts. And uh, it did turn out all right. I'll tell you this. The blow dryer trick did work. All right. I took that blow dryer. I got them stains out. Nobody. Yeah, no joke. This is the uh, he, this sermon, I guess. The difference, except some of our staff that might be sitting in this service and received those gifts. And had no idea. But let me ask you this. How many times do we say that same phrase? It's hopeless. Maybe even on a daily basis. Maybe we speak that over our marriage. Oh, it's just a hopeless marriage. Man, I've tried and I've invited them to church and they sit next to me and I nudge them in the ribs every time the pastor says something because it's for them and it's just not working. Or, Or we speak over that financial crisis that we're in. It's just hopeless. Or we speak over that job. It's hopeless. But can I tell you the truth? That with God, nothing is hopeless. And God can turn around any situation. Yeah, God can. God doesn't promise to. One single moment. And I want to share with you today four keys to ignite hope in your life. So let me tell you, if you walked in here feeling... Where in scripture could I find these four keys laid out? For igniting hope in my life. Discouraged, feeling like you are at the end of the rope. You are in the right place. Because let me tell you, I'm ready to preach. God is in this place. And I'm going to give you four keys. That when we apply to our lives. Can ignite hope. And I want to speak from the life of Gideon. The first one is this. If we're going to ignite hope. We got to heal from the past. Mm, We're going to go there. You want to have hope for the future. You got to stop dwelling on the mistakes and hardships of the past. That that that's in the story of Gideon. 
How so? In Judges chapter 6, after God says, Gideon, go, I'm going to deliver Midian into your hands. I am with you. Gideon says this in verse 15. He says, pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in all of Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. But the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. See, when God speaks this word to Gideon, Gideon's automatic response is, I can't do it. You ever feel like that? Like God puts a dream in your heart or he tells you to move to that city or accept that job or to start that project or that business. And you're just like, God, no, I can't do it. Like, God, you got the wrong person. See, I'm sure Gideon was like, "Uh, God, um, I don't know if you've heard or not, but like my my clan, we're the weakest We're the underdogs. Nobody looks up to us. No one relies on us. And I am the least in my family. You must be looking for the Gideon that's like two tenths down. All right, Mr. Strong, tall and handsome. That's that's who you're looking for. It can't be me. And maybe you're here today. And you're saying, you know what, God, you just you don't know the family that I grew up in. You don't know the environment that I was raised in, the the poverty that, that I came from. What's God telling me to do again? And I believe that that God is speaking you today, you today and saying, no, rise up, mighty warrior, for I am with you. Really? What am I rising up against since I'm now a mighty warrior? Yeah, I think you're kind of missing the whole point here. See, I wonder how many of us are not leaning in and pressing into the future that God has for us. Mm-hmm. The things that God has already. So I, I'm not leaning in enough. Right. Um, This isn't what this text says. Spoken over us, the things he's already spoken into existence because we're preoccupied with reminding God of our past. Newsflash, God knows your past. All right, it's not hidden from him. And see, God does not hold your past against you, so why should you? See, guilt and shame, they don't come from God, they come from our enemy. Yeah, that's not exactly true. Uh, Jesus says that when he sends the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and unbelief. What is the reason why God doesn't hold our sins against, not our past, our sins? Because we sin against God daily. We sinned against him yesterday. You're sinning against him today. We will sin against God tomorrow. So God doesn't just not hold our past against us. He doesn't account our sins against us. Blessed is the man, the psalmist says, against whom the Lord does not count his sins. So, yeah, you don't even know what the gospel is here, dude. Me who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Conviction comes from God. And conviction is the awareness of sin in -hmm. our lives. Yes. It's the awareness that the way we're living our life may not align with God's will or God's plan. But guilt and shame and condemnation do not come from God. They come from the enemy. And the enemy will always try and bring your past into your present in an attempt to wreck your future. And maybe you're. Where does it say that? That God's, you know, that the devil's going to remind me of my past in order to wreck my future? It doesn't say this in Judges. There you're saying, that's great for, for Gideon, but that doesn't apply to me. And I hear what you're saying, but you just don't know the things that I used to do. You don't know the failures that I have. You don't know 
the things that I've said. You don't know the person that I used to be. But let me tell you today. That God is saying to you, just as Gideon, rise up, mighty warrior, I am with you. You can beat that depression, for I am with you. You can overcome that addiction, for I am with you. You can be a conqueror, because I am with you. Remember, in in the book of Exodus, when God chose Moses to go and deliver the the Israelites out of the hands of Egypt... Moses asked God, well, God, who should I tell them is sending me? And God says, I want you to tell them I am is sending you. See, there's power in God's response when he says, I am with you and I am sending you. Because God is all encompassing. God is. No, I would agree that, you know, if God's sending me, there's power in that. But what is God sending me to do again? Yeah, I'm not Gideon. And the Midianites don't really do anything up here in North Dakota. You know what I mean? Different things. And so when God told Gideon, go in the strength you have, I am with you. What he's saying is everything that I am is with you as well. So that challenge that seems impossible, go in the strength you have. Because I am with you, that means my peace is with you. My strength is upon you and my authority is within you. So listen, whatever, whatever thing you think you can't get past... You rest assured today that because God is with you and because God is for you, that everything he is, is with you as well. You go in the strength that you have and you watch as his strength becomes your strength and his joy becomes your joy and his peace becomes your peace and his victory becomes your victory. Come on. How many of you know that because of the victory that took place on that cross, when that veil tore into, we gained access to that same power and that same authority that raised Christ from the dead. That is the power that lives in you. And we got access to that authority. Uh, what text are you talking about here again? Because this sounds like a weird misapplication of something that is said in one of the epistles. So you know what? We can get past our past. Because Christ died for you to get past your past. Christ died so that I can get past my past. It reminds me of Timon and Pumbaa. You know, you got to put your past and your behind. You want to reignite hope? You know what? Just let it go today. Let it go today. Just he, let it go. Just let it go. Let it go. From your past. And then, oh, offer what we have. Judges chapter 6 and verse 17. Gideon responds to the Lord. And he says, if now I have. So, so key number two is you got you to gotta offer something to God. Offer whatever you have. Because, you know, that offering part, you know, that, that's a key. That's a step. So you got to do the same thing. Uh, no found favor in your eyes. Give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So Gideon goes, he gets a young goat. He bakes some bread and he brings his offering before God. And the scripture tells us that he built an altar. He built an altar and he sacrificed his offering to God. And it says God received it. And then it says that Gideon named the site where he built that altar. The Lord is peace. And then in verse 25, it says the same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd. The one that is seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Baal is a false God. 
So God is telling Gideon, I want you to tear down that altar to the false God and you build a proper kind of altar to the Lord, your God on top of this height. And you use the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down and it says, so Gideon took 10 of his servants and he did as the Lord told him. You know, so many of us never surrender what we have to God because we don't think we have enough to give. But let me tell you today, God does not need what? Oh, yeah, so uh, we got we got a tithing uh, admonishment in the mix of all of this. Of course we do. This is a mega church and they got lots and lots and lots, millions and millions and millions of dollars to pay. What you don't have, but he can certainly use what you do have. Come on, we remember when Jesus was preaching to the 5,000, and that was just the men, not even the women and children. And the disciples start to panic because the, the, the people are getting hungry and they don't have enough food to feed them. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus finds the young boy with the five loaves and the two fish. And he says, bring it to me. And that little boy gave the five loaves and the two fish. And then Jesus did what only Jesus can do. And he multiplied it many times over. Yet, it wasn't because of the sacrifice of the kid that Jesus did this. Unbelievable. Can I tell you that that boy that woke up that morning and packed his lunchbox and went to hear Jesus preach probably didn't think that he had much to give. But then when he placed it in the hands of Jesus... All of a sudden, he went from a nobody with five loaves and two fish to going down in history as helping feed over 5,000 people with those five loaves and those two fish. Simply because he surrendered what he had. He didn't make excuses for what he didn't have. You know, there's someone in here today. You are begging God to use you, but you're not acting like you. You're too busy acting like somebody else. You know what? God wants the authentic you. God wants the real you. You're asking God to give you success, to bless this business, to bless this marriage. But you know what? God cannot restore, redeem, bless, or use who you pretend to be. Hope begins with the revelation that we are enough for God in our brokenness, in our flaws. See, if Psalm 139 is true, which I believe it is, it says we are enough for God in our brokenness. What are you talking about? God has to forgive our brokenness, and he sent Jesus to bleed and die for it. What are you talking about? He us in our mother's womb. He knit us together. He brought all the delicate parts of our being. And though God may hate the sin, he loves the sinner. And so you got to know that you are enough for God. Yeah, no, actually, Jesus will send actual sinners to real hell. That's a false statement, too. He wants to use you in the season that you're in with the gifts and talents that you... He wants to use you? What are you talking about? Have, but God needs the real you, not the Instagram version of you. Oh, okay. So I, I got to give God the real me before he can use me. Not at all what, what Judges is talking about. Um, how many of you know on Instagram, everybody is living their best life? And it's like, your life ain't that good. Like you're posting on Instagram, like you just had the best week ever, but I just saw you yesterday and you weren't having the best week ever. You know, maybe you, you're up in your office working hard and you're scrolling through and you see that guy that's out on the yacht in Fiji, like, ugh, 
wish I had his life. Or, or ladies, maybe you're, you're scrolling through Instagram and you see that mom that just gave birth two weeks ago and she's already on the beach in a two piece and you're still trying to work off the baby fat from your 25 year old son. And you're like, God, we got a problem here. All right. This is not fair. See, the game of comparison is dangerous because you know what? Your journey is your journey. Nobody else's. And God wants to use your journey, but God can't use your journey if you're too busy on somebody else's journey. Again, I I don't even know what you're talking about. This is nonsense. God wants to use you. He wants to use your brokenness. He wants to use your past. He wants to use your failures. But you know what? It requires us to build our own altar. And my question, I got to build an altar now. How am I supposed to do that? To you today is what kind of altar are you building? Because when we can get to that place where we lay down our hopes and dreams and plans for our life on an altar and say, you know what, God, I am surrendering it to you. I may not have much, but I'm giving it to you. When we can get to that place where we no longer have to hold on to it. Because how many of you know, sometimes there are just things in our life, it hurts to let go and give it to God. God, I, I, I can surrender some things, but God, I can't surrender my bitterness. Because it, uh, when I hold on to it, 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 it I think it sustains me. If, if I try and forgive, I, I, I don't want to let that pain in. No, so I'm, I'm going to hold on to this bitterness because it sustains me. But when we can get to that place where we can let go of those things that we think we can't live without, that we think sustains us and get to the place where you say, you know what, God, I'm going to pray for the blessing and I'm going to believe for a miracle and I'm going to believe to hold that baby in my arms, to get that new job, to move to that new city, to get into that college or that program. But even if I don't see it happen, Even if it doesn't come to pass, I am still going to build my altar and I'm still going to lay it down before you. I'm still going to come to church. I'm still going to worship. I'm still going to praise. I'm still going to have joy in my heart and a smile on my face because it is not about what I'm sacrificing as much as it is about what I gain when I sacrifice it. So get busy doing some sacrifice and it's kind of important. Because let me tell you, you will gain something significant when you lay down that thing you think you can't live without. When you lay it down. So I got, I got to lay it down on an altar that I build. Yeah, that's not what the story of Gideon is about either. Again, Nehemiah chapter 9 helped us out here. This is a story about Israel taking God's commandments and his word, casting them behind their back, and God selling them into slavery, and then them crying out for help, and God raising up, as Nehemiah says, a savior. Yeah, Gideon is a type and shadow of Christ, and Jesus himself shows up in the story. Before the foot of the cross, you gain a sense of purpose, a sense of calling, a sense of peace. So first key, heal from our past. Second key, offer what we have. Third key is this, prioritize your relationships. If we skip over to Judges chapter 7, and this is as 
the Israelites are preparing for battle. It says early in the morning, Gideon and all his men camped at the spring of Harad. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. They would say my own strength has saved me. Verse three. So now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. And then in verse four, it says, but the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out there for you. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I so, so I, this is another key. Okay. Yeah. These keys are not actually revealed in this text. He's just found them. Apparently they were hidden keys and he's bringing them up in step form. This one shall not go with you. He shall not not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. And there the Lord told them, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. Now, I don't know about you, but this makes no sense to me. The Midianite army is about 135,000 men. Now, just picture that for a second. 135,000. Gideon started with 32 and God told him, well, you have too many. I'd be like, uh, God, I don't think you can do the math. Like, I actually need 100,000 more just to, to match. And God says, no, 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 you have too many because... If you fight with 32,000, I already know you're going to win the battle. But if you fight with the 32,000, you're not going to give me glory. You're going to boast that you did it in your own strength. And so he cut it down to 300, 135,000 against 300. The odds are not looking good. But you know what? I believe God could do more with 300 men who were filled with faith than the 32,000 who had doubt. And you know, that same truth applies to our lives. You can go further with a few faith-filled friends than a crowd that surrounds you, pulling you in all kinds of directions. You know what? Sometimes in order to hold on when you're at the end of your rope, you got to cut the extra weight. You got to let go of those that are weighing you down because there are going to be some people in your life that just don't get the battle that you face. Oh, no. Are you literally saying... That this text is telling me to cut certain people out of my life. Oh boy, this is just demonic. They see the cause of your pain, but they don't see the purpose of your pain. And there are just some people that can't get us to where God created us to be. And we can't take everybody into our destiny. And sometimes God will cut those people off just to remind us of where our strength comes from. And it can be a painful process. You know, I remember before my wife and I started dating, I was in an on and off relationship with a person I cared deeply for. And we had known each other since we were young and I'd always had a crush on her. And we were in an on and off relationship, a lot of drama, hurt, manipulation, all those things. And how many of you know that God can drop a red flag right in front of you? I mean, he can't make it any clearer. Right in front of you. And it's like, let's step around that. Oh, another red flag. 
You're going to step right around that. Listen, God put so many red flags. I was just too dumb to listen. And so uh, too bad he didn't put a fleece out like uh, Gideon did. Then he would have known those re- those red flags were really from God. <clears throat> I said that sarcastically, by the way. Yeah, this, this is a mess. Finally, I believe God said, you know what? I've, I've given you red flags and now you might have to go through the pain of letting go. But I need you to let go now so that you can gain in the future. And can I tell you, I am so grateful that I endured the pain of letting go to receive the blessing of my wife. Because, y'all, I got a hot wife. All right. She is Proverbs 31 material. Yeah, that's right. Tyler is so much like Gideon. It's almost spooky, you know. Everything I could hope for, dream up or imagine. But can I tell you, unless I was willing to let go of the person that took up her space in my heart. It wouldn't have happened. And listen, there's somebody in here and there is somebody that is taking up space in your heart that is not meant to be there. And God has shown you time and time again. Now, listen, I'm in the context of marriage. I don't want you to hear me wrong. I'm not saying that you need to leave your spouse or you need to get a divorce or any of those things. I believe in fighting for your marriage. But listen, there are some toxic relationships you have. Maybe it's that friend that belittles you. That degrades you, that manipulates you. Maybe it's that on and off. Yeah, see, that's the reason why God had Gideon whittle down the army down to 300 guys. Because he was trying to teach us, you know, we need to get rid of people in our lives who who are toxic. You know, they're into, they, they've, they, we have a toxic relationship with them. No. And boyfriend or girlfriend, I don't know what it is, but see, we got to take a real inspection of our relationships and start to prioritize our relationships to say, you know what? I'm going through a season right now and I need people in my life that are going to build me up, that are going to catapult me to where God created me to be. And listen, that's why we have the local church. The message is great. Worship is awesome. But you know what? I can get in my car and I can turn on worship and listen to a great message in 30 minutes. Can I tell you the greatest attribute of the local church is the community that's what you can't get anywhere else that's why we have connect groups listen if you're in a season where you feel lonely maybe you've had to and here comes the plug for connect groups because yeah that's what gideon's all about Uh uh-huh relationships maybe you've recently come to christ and some people in your life just don't understand that and you've had to let go of some people let me tell you god has a few faith-filled people he wants to bring into your life but you got to welcome them that's why we host connect groups because life is not meant to be done alone and listen when you're a part of this community you are surrounded by people that will walk with you through every single season of life we got to prioritize our relationships. And the last key is this. This is where I'm going to land us today. Expect victory. Yeah, so the fourth and final key is expect victory. Because, yeah, he found these keys in the story of Gideon. First guy to do it, by the way. Um, wow, okay. You know, there was one night where God spoke to Gideon. And he said, I want you to get up and I want you to sneak into the Midianite camp. And I want you to listen to the conversations that are happening. And so Gideon wakes up and he brings his servant and they sneak into the Midianite camp. And they hear a conversation between 
two men and one of them is explaining his dream and he's explaining that in this dream he saw a a large bundle of barley tumbling down the mountain and crashing into the Midianite camp and it completely destroyed it and the other man was interpreting the dream and he said that must mean only one thing he said we're in trouble because that must mean that God is with Gideon And will deliver us into the hands of Israel. And when Gideon hears that, all of a sudden, his posture changes. And I want to share with you in Judges chapter 7 verse 15. It says, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now falling gently on the audience uh, to convince them to make decisions of one kind or another. Not sure what the decision is here, um, but okay. The Lord has given the Midianites into our hands. And he divided the 300 men into three companies. He placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. And he said, watch me, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. See, even though the Midianite army possessed more manpower, they were terrified and trembled when they took note of the God power that Gideon possessed. Actually, um, God is the one who threw the Midianites into confusion. Um, God had the God power, and God used the God power for Gideon and for Israel. And when Gideon heard this conversation, when he heard what the enemy really thought about him, that head that was hanging shot right back up, and he puffed out his chest. And I can't help but wonder how our attitude would shift if we only knew what the enemy really thought about us. Because friend, he is not after you because you are weak. He is after you because you are strong. You may not know your... No, 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 no. If by enemy you mean the devil. (laughs) I have to pray every day. Uh, You know, in, in fact, the way Jesus taught us to pray, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Yeah, I pray every single day that the Lord would deliver me and deliver us as Christians from the evil one. Um, I, uh, you know, if it weren't for Christ um, and him and what he's doing, I'm pretty sure the devil has nothing whatsoever to fear when it comes to me. Um, Jesus is doing all the heavy lifting when it comes to defeating the devil. Potential, but the enemy knows your potential. You may not believe in yourself, but listen, the enemy knows what you can do. You don't need to fear. Yeah, Gideon didn't believe in himself. He trusted the Lord. Enemy, because the enemy fears you. 
He already knows that you're victorious. He already knows that you're for Christ is victorious. And he already knows that you're redeemed. He already knows that you're more than a conqueror. He already knows that he can form a weapon against you. But according to his word, that weapon will not prosper. But what a shame for the enemy to know that about us. But we don't even know that about us. Some of us, we don't believe we are who God says we are. And we don't expect victory because we don't believe we're worthy of the victory. This past Monday, I went into the dentist's office to have my wisdom teeth extracted. And the plan was to go in and have all four removed. And I went in and, you know, you sit in the seat and they give you the happy pills. And it's like la-la land from there, right? And I turn out, I actually woke up midway through the procedure I guess the drugs didn't, didn't take to my body and they had to kind of shut everything down, sent me home and I took a really long nap and I woke up and can I tell you, it is a scary feeling to wake up and not remember what you did before. Some of y'all, that's you this morning. You're like, that was Saturday night. Hey, I don't know how I got here, but I'm here. No, but seriously, that it's a scary feeling. Um, and I remember bits and pieces from waking up in the dentist chair Um, And I remember bits and pieces and uh, I remember waking up in the chair and I, I, they were putting a shot in my mouth and they were yanking and pulling and doing all kinds of things. I don't remember the pain necessarily. I remember a lot of like tugging and pulling and pressure my mouth. And I, I, you know, I kind of winced and they shut everything down and and I'm asking, I got the gauze in my mouth. I'm like, are we done? Are we done? And you know, the, the nurse assistant, she's like, yeah, she's like, we only could take out two. You'll have to come back next week for more. I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Keep going. Keep going. She's like, no, 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 no. So she puts me in the wheelchair, you know, cause you can't walk cause you're drugged. And she puts me in the, the office um, and they call my wife to come pick me up. And while I'm waiting in the office, I remember I kept trying to get up out of the wheelchair. I kept, you know, putting my feet on the ground and standing up and trying to walk. And then, you know, she'd come over to me. No, 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 no. You can't walk. You got to stay seated. Got to stay seated. And I can't confirm this for sure until I go back next week. But I'm pretty certain that I tried to take all the pictures off the wall in that office. And I remember the, the, the assistant sticking. What on earth does this have to do with helping us rightly understand the story of Gideon? the the door and yelling into the lobby is his wife here yet because he's getting restless and to be honest with you I, I remember like having an attitude and being upset because they didn't take the other two out and like in my head I was fine I can handle the pain should have done it all at once I don't want to come back next week uh, you know I've got things going on no 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 so I remember in that wheelchair and just like complaining and and being frustrated getting the car and Like, I'm like telling Amber, this is ridiculous. I can't believe this. I'm pretty certain that I need to go back next week and I'm going to have to repent for some things that I said and did. Because, and I, some things I remember, some things I don't. Um, So I feel this need to to go back and to repent and to apologize for my behavior because some of them know I'm a pastor here. All right. And I might have said some ungodly things. I'm not sure. It's not a good look. Uh, So I, I need to go back and repent. Now, let me ask you this. When I go back and I apologize for my behavior, do you think they're going to hold it against me? No. Right. I mean, I was, I was on drugs. 
And listen, everybody reacts differently when you do drugs. I get angry when I do drugs, okay? So it's not my fault, right? They're going to tell you you weren't in your right mind. You didn't know what you were saying. You didn't know what you were doing. We're all good. Yeah, why are we talking about sin in this way? Why don't we talk about the sins that we know we are 100% guilty of? Drugs were not involved. Mm Mm-hmm. But can I tell you, so many of us come before God that same way. We come before him repenting. God, I I am unworthy. Father, I have made so many mistakes. I just don't see how how you can use me, how you can forgive me. And we think that God is going to hold it over our head. That God is going to bring condemnation and judgment. But let me tell you today, friend, when you come before the throne of grace and you repent before God, God is not holding it over your head. God is waiting there with open. Yeah, I'm glad he's got a little gospel nugget at the end of this thing. It's really rare nowadays arms for he said on the cross father forgive them for they know not what they do and then he yeah no see this isn't even a real gospel nugget (laughs) father forgive them they know not what they do see you may have done stuff you didn't even realize you were doing don't worry jesus has got you covered yet christ died for your sins okay the stuff you're actually guilty of. You need to be talking about that. Why are you soft-peddling sin here? Right out. It is finished. So let me tell you today, whatever that thing is in your life today, it is finished. You can expect victory because, friend, in Jesus' eyes, you are worthy of the victory. Uh, no. No. Christ is the one who makes us worthy, but we and ourselves are not. And I can believe that I am who he says I am because I believe he is who he says he is. And how stupid of it would it be of me to believe that God is who he says he is, but not believe that I am who he says I am. And maybe some of us today, you need a reminder of who your God is. And see, when we look to the word of God in all 66 books of scripture, God is represented in each one, his character, his faithfulness, his goodness. And I just want to share with you today who your God is. You need to know that in Genesis, he is the creator of the universe. In Exodus, he is our deliverer from bondage. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he is the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is our faithful God. And in Joshua, he is victory's roar. In Judges, he is our protective guard. In Ruth, he is a loyal friend. In First and Second Samuel, he is the trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, our sovereign Lord. And in Ezra, he is the honest scribe. In Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of that which that has been destroyed. In Esther, he is our courage. In Job, he is our timeless redeemer. In Psalms, he is our refuge and our strength. And in Proverbs, he is our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he is a time and a season. In Songs of Solomon, he is the lover's dream. In Isaiah, he is our prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he is our prosperity and our hope for the future. In Lamentations, he is the cry for Israel. In Ezekiel, he is our call from sin. And in Daniel, he holds the power to shut the mouths of roaring lions. In Hosea, he is the forever faithful. In Joel, he offers mercy and forgiveness. In Amos, he is our strong arms that carry us through every season. In Obadiah, he is our savior. In Jonah, he is the great missionary. In Micah, he is strength to get back up once we have fallen. In Na- Yeah, this is literally like the best part of the sermon 
Yeah, pretty much everything up to this point, yeah, not all that great, but uh, still, he's not really preaching a text here when he's summarizing all the things that God is for us. But it's nice to hear him talk about God-ish. Whom he is strength and shield in Habakkuk and Zephaniah. He brings forth revival and makes all things new. In Haggai, he restores that which is lost. In Zechariah, he is the fountain that cleanses us. And in Malachi, he is the son of righteousness. And that's just who he is in the Old Testament. That's just half of who your God is. Skip over a few pages in about 400 years and you'll see that in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's not just your God. He is now your Messiah, the risen Savior that came to save the world of its sin. In Acts, he is our life-giving power. In Romans, he is everlasting grace. And in- Yeah, I'm glad you say that Jesus has come to save us from sin. Too bad you describe sin as, you know, those things that we didn't even realize we were doing wrong because we were drugged. Corinthians, he is unfailing love. In Galatians, he is freedom from sin and darkness. In Ephesians, he is our armor and our loving father. In Philippians, he is the servant's heart. In Colossians, he is the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Thessalonians, he is our beckoning king. In Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, he is our mediator. In Hebrews, he is faith and never-ending courage. In James, in James, he's our almighty healer. In Peter, he is a faithful shepherd. In John and Jude, he is the lover coming for his bride. And in the revelation. Come on, get up on your feet and give him some praise. Because in the very end, he... Yeah, you got to piecemeal out that praise stuff. Get on your feet and give him some praise. Wow, that's... Hmm. Who is, was, and who will always be the Alpha, the Omega, the Lion of Judah, the Rock of the Ages, the Healer of Almighty. He is the first, the last, the beginning, and the end. Amen. Yay. Amen. Amen. So in case you missed all that... He is everything that you need. And stay standing for... Yeah, that, that, that is true. He is, yes. Just a moment, I'm going to invite our worship team to come on out. And we're going to end our time together. And we're going to worship and respond to what God's spoken to us. And I don't know the situation. I don't know what you're facing today. But friend, I believe whatever you need him to be, he wants to be. Whatever I need him to be, he wants... What? And we're going to sing this song. It's called, Who You Say I Am. And the words sing, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. Even when I don't feel like it, even when it doesn't make sense, even when I don't believe it for myself, I am declaring, I am who you say I am. You are for me and not against me. I am who you say I am. And as we sing this out together, the team's going to lead us in his presence. But I want you to have your own conversation with God. I want you to talk to God. This is between you and him. Not your neighbor, not your spouse, not your child that's next to you. This is between you and God. And if you feel comfortable, I want you to actually speak out loud this conversation. And I want you to speak to that mountain that stands in your way. Yeah, speak to the mountain. I, I I live in probably one of the flattest places on the planet. 
I, there's no mountains here to speak to, man. Tell that mountain to move in the name of Jesus. For his word declares that your faith has the power to cast that mountain into the depths of the sea. And you speak to that financial crisis that you're in. And you command. You, you want me to speak to a financial crisis? What? And it to bow at the foot of the cross. For his- Tell the financial crisis to bow. What? At the foot of the cross. Really? I can do that. I can tell. Where are the ears of the financial crisis? How do I get its attention? The word says that if he cares for the birds of the sky, how much more does he care for you, my friend? There- yeah, he does. But I don't need to speak to my financial crisis. I need to speak to God and ask him to help if I had one. You know what I mean? No limitations to his power, for he holds, owns every cattle on the hill, and he can give us everything we need. And I want you to speak to that depression or that fear, or that anxiety, and you tell it to bow in the name of Jesus. Yeah, telling fear and anxiety to bow, again, that's just strange. His word declares, though weeping may endure for the night, joy is coming in the morning. Joy. Yeah. And you speak to that broken marriage. And you speak, maybe... Maybe talk to God and then talk to your spouse if you have a broken marriage. That spouse that is standing right next to you, but they are so distant. And you speak to that marriage and you command it to mend in the name of Jesus. For his word declares that love covers a multitude of sins. And you speak to that addiction that you have battled for years. Yeah, speak to that addiction. How about confess your sins? Related to your addiction. Why don't you confess them to Christ and be forgiven for them? And you can't seem to break free and you command it to flee in the name of Jesus. For the word says that whom the son sets free is free indeed. Amen. And you speak to that storm and you remind your storm of. You want me to speak to a storm? <sighs> a man named Peter. I mean, it's almost hurricane season here in the United States. I'm sure there'll be storms to speak to and stuff. Who was in a boat in the midst of the greatest storm. And he saw Jesus face to face walking on the water. And Jesus said, Peter, walk to me. And Peter, because of his faith, stepped out and he walked on the water. Yeah, twisting Matthew um, there, 13 or 14. Yeah. yeah, the reason why Peter got out of the boat and asked is not because of his great faith, because he didn't believe it was Jesus. He said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come walking, come to you walking on the water. See, the reason he got out of the boat is because he didn't have, he didn't believe it was Jesus. In the midst of the storm, and you remind that storm, if God did it for Peter, then surely God will do it for me. Uh, this is such nonsense. And you speak to that devil and you bind him up in the name of. Yeah, I'm not talking to the devil either. I'll be talking to God about the devil, asking him to deliver me from him the way Jesus taught me to pray. Bind him that he is a defeated foe, that he is underneath your feet, that he is a loaded gun with no bullets and a lion with no teeth. He ha- um, loaded guns actually have bullets in them. How can the devil be a loaded gun with no bullets? That's uh, Yeah, it doesn't work that way. 
has an authority and he has no stronghold over you. God, we thank you for your love and your mercy, God. And I pray that as we speak out over these situations, God, that your spirit would fall upon us, Lord, that you would work on our behalf, Father. We love you. We praise you and we cry it out. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, let's sing it out together. Let's respond. Okay, so that was uh, Tyler Grambling. Yeah, unfortunately, Potential Church still has not met the requirements to actually become a real church. They remain a church in Potentia. Oh, that was a mess. That was really painful. Yeah, he's not any better than his father. In fact, in some ways, he's actually way worse. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.